All right, open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Many of you know we've been trying to focus more on, uh, as Timothy was told by Paul uh, in 1 Timothy, to give, give the heed, give, pay attention to the public reading of, of Scripture. And so we've, um, we've had a special uh, reading list in our, in our bulletins. Um, where we're reading a book of the Bible every week. Some of those books are much longer than other books. We understand that, right? Um, for instance, this month we're going to read uh, Samuel in the bulletin, which means First and Second Samuel. Uh, we're going to read Kings, which is First and Second Kings, which are both over four hours of reading um, in the week. So I know it's it's tough to get that much reading done. However, Number one, if you get behind, it's okay. Don't think that you can't go to heaven if you don't finish your Bible reading plan. Um, let me know. I'll print you out the whole list. As, as it sits right now, if we read the whole list in order and we, ca- and we stay caught up, uh, we'll be done in September. So you have plenty of time. If you get behind a little bit, don't worry. Let me know. I'll print you out the full list and you can, um, you can use that and you can go your own pace. Um, but we've also been trying to spend some time reading scripture in the worship service, which is what the early Christians would have done. Many of the early Christians did not have actual physical Bibles. They had a manuscript. They had a letter that Paul wrote them. And they would get together on Sunday, they'd take up the Lord's Supper, and then they would read that letter. They may end up reading that letter 50 times in a year. We don't know, but they would read that letter. And when they got done reading it or when they got done copying it for themselves, they would send it on to the next church, to the next church. And so um, so we've been trying to read through some of the New Testament and some of the, the Bible in general. And so we're going to do uh, Colossians today. Now, Colossians is broken up into four different sections. Okay, We'll talk about the sections as we get to them. But I want you to focus on one thing. The Colossians had, Colossians is a normal, old, everyday New Testament book, as if something written by God himself was normal and old and everyday. But it is dealing with a problem. They had this thing called the Colossian heresy. And they, they had to fix it. And so Paul writes the book of Colossians to encourage them to fix it. So he starts off talking about the Messiah. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, notice that it's called Colossae. It's not Colossians. Colossians are the people that live in Colossae. So he's writing to the saints, faithful brothers of Christ in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father uh, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Since you have heard, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Notice he calls the gospel the word of truth, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it. And understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. This is a faithful, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And has made known to us your love 
in the Spirit. So when Paul started the church at Colossae, he leaves and Epaphras becomes their preacher. And so, verse 9, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the full of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of, the dark, of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice what Paul keeps saying oh, a couple times in this. He has, he's not only emphasized the, the personal need, verse 10, to walk worthy in, in a manner worthy of the Lord. We need to please him, verse 10. Verse 12, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's, it's equal parts God doing and our devotion to God that gives us what he talks about in verse 14. We have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If it's just on God, then it means nothing to us. But if it's just on us, then God somehow owes us something. And yet he says it's not, it's not either or, it's both and. It's, it's both your work and God qualifying you. God is doing something to you to allow you to be able to do that work. So verse 15, he, he says a prayer about the Messiah. Verse 15 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the poem starts off with Jesus is the creator, that he withstands, that he holds up everything. He holds everything together, verse 17. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might, ha he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's the creator, the first part of the poem that starts in verse 15. And then verse 18, he's the creator and he's recreating us. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Now he transitions to talking about himself. He's going to use himself as the illustration here because whenever you face false doctrine, whenever you face false ideals or false attitudes or, or, or mindsets that are contrary to Christ. Anytime you, you face anything that's oppositional to Christ, you are going to suffer. I mean, you look at Nehemiah chapter 4. They're trying to build a wall 
and they're going to suffer. They have to watch their backs. They're going through persecution. So now he transfers to himself to use himself as an illustration. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am fulfilling, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known that how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, be, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen, my face, not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. May delude you with plausible arguments. Have you ever, have you ever faced that, that doctrine? Have you ever thought about that, that person says something that you say, man, that, that may, that's, it, it makes sense, it sounds correct, but in actuality, given just a little bit more study, a little bit more dedication to it, you find out that it's not true. I say this, verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So he uses himself as an illustration. And he says, here's, what I, here's my job as a minister, is to make sure that verse uh, Verse number 29, uh, really verse 28 of chapter 1, that you can be, he says, wise, but that you may be mature in Christ. Uh, uh, the job of a minister is to make sure that those who are hearing him are mature in Christ. Verse 6 now of chapter 2. Now he's going to transition to talking about the, the problems that they're facing and the, the, dish, the issues that they have to deal with and, and how their sickness circumstance um, of looking at these plausible arguments, of looking at these, well, you know, it makes sense, let's just go with it so we don't have to, you know, so we don't, so we don't cause any problems, so we don't cause any turmoil. Here, here's what the problem is, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental, elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, and with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. And you, verse 13 of chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Asceticism is when you deny yourself. Some uh, Catholic groups may hit themselves, or some other religious groups may deny themselves food for extended periods of time so that their body starts to shut down. There's a difference between fasting and asceticism. And he says, you need, to, you need to stay away from the people that are trying to get you to be ascetic, uh, asceticism, that trying to uh, make you deny your physical body so that somehow you can be more, more spiritual. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with, without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a, with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that are all perish, that are all used, as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Why? Okay, verse 20 I know is kind of tough to understand. He's saying, why do you keep going by the Old Testament? Why, why are you saying that you can't touch that because you're a follower of God? Nothing in and of itself, no physical thing is ever inherently sinful. It's the way we use things that are sinful. Medicine um, and, and other things that if God has given it to us, then it is to be used to the benefit of us, which means that we have to use some common sense sometimes and some science some other times. But why do you keep thinking that just because the, the Old Testament says that blank is, is dirty or unclean, why do you keep thinking that that's true when you're Christians now and you don't have this problem? Uh, what verse did I get to? Verse... Um, here we go, verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How, how many religions, how many religious actions are just there so that you can say that you're religious when True Christianity is a life that is beneficial to our physical lives. Verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeking, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the, its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What we talked about this morning. There's no difference between Christians. We're all Christians. Maybe we have different roles, but we're all Christians. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen holy, cho- chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing one, with one another. And if one has committed... A, If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and Spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, now here's, how this, here's what this looks like. Now that we've set the stage that we need to be different, that we need to be like Christ, now here's what this looks like. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. He uses the the household. The, the, The Romans were proud of Roman households. They were proud of the Roman family. And so he uses that and says, here's what a Christian family looks like, regardless of Roman. Verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. From the wrongdoer, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He uses the, the family, the household, and he uses the slave system in Rome. Much different than the slave system that we had in this country. And yet, it was still slavery. And so he says, here's how Christian slaves interact with their bondservants and how Christian bondservants interact with their slaves. Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Now he turns to the last little part. Let's talk about some names here. Chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. This is, Tychicus is the guy that took the book to Colossae. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is with you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Onesimus is the guy about which the book of Philemon is written. Philemon's a member at Colossae. Colossae. He is one of the Colossian Christians. He's a member at the Colossae Church of Christ. And he is a bond servant. He's a slave owner. Why do you think Paul mentions slave owners in Colossians chapter 4? Because at the end of this book, he's going to tell them, hey, Tychicus is going to tell you how we're doing. Onesimus is with Tychicus. There's a letter in the back pocket of Tychicus meant specifically for Philemon that says you need to receive him back. And what Paul is doing in Colossians is he's, he's trying to get them to be open to accepting Onesimus back. Because last they heard of Onesimus, he was a non-Christian slave who ran away. And now he comes back as a Christian brother submitting to the slavery that he was once free from. Chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, different Jesus than the one that started the religion, of course. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in, the, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. As does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and at Nympha and the church in her house. And to Nympha and the church in her house. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read at the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Some people think that, that the book of, of Ephesians is probably the book that he's talking about. When you get done with this, pass it on to Laodicea and you read the book that I sent to Laodicea as well. Verse 17. And, to, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So he deals with a problem, but not so much dealing with the problem as he is dealing with the idea that, that it, is, it is an understanding of Jesus Christ that keeps us from all of the other outside influences. The, 
the plausible arguments and the philosophy and those sorts of things. It's a maturity in Christ. Remember how many times he mentions maturity in Christ. It's a maturity in Christ that allows us to withstand the false teachings. Because when you're a mature Christian, we talked about this during the Romans class, when you're a mature Christian and you've grown in your faith, there's a point at which it clicks. And from that point on, it's no longer a, oh, well, I have a question, I have to find the answer. Which is great. Absolutely, it's something that we need to do. However, it's no longer a, man, um, I think it's in here, let me Google it. It's a point of maturity where you say, that's not scriptural, that's not correct, that's not authorized, that's not blank. And the reason is because our minds have been, become connected to the will of God so much that maybe we remember that verse but we can't remember the quotation. Or maybe we have the reasoning skills based on the scriptures to where when something that the scriptures don't talk about come up, we still know the answer to it. Someone comes in and says, well, you know, as long as you, as long as you don't get drunk, you can drink a little bit. I mean, the Bible says drunkenness, right? It's a mature Christian that says, hang on a second. There's no real definition of what that word means. And you go from the reasoning of the scriptures. Even though we don't have a verse that says, thou shalt not shoot up heroin on a Friday night. We, we have the maturity to reason from the scriptures. And, and what Paul is encouraging in Colossians is that it's the connection, the relationship with Jesus Christ, and the maturity in the word and in the will of God that allows us to fill in the gaps. A new Christian can't fill in the gaps. A new Christian has a problem, and they have to find a Bible verse. And if there's not a Bible verse, they start second-guessing themselves. And a mature Christian says, I know what God would want me to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And I may remember a segment of a verse that I can't remember the citation to. Or I may, I may be able to reason from my overall knowledge of the Scriptures what is right, what is pure, what is honorable. And so that's the book of Colossians. If you have questions about the book of Colossians, you can write it down and put it in the question and answer box. We're going to have Q&A here in just a few weeks. But if there's someone here that needs to respond to the invitation, um, like I said, new Christians, people that are just searching out the truth, they don't have that maturity yet. And too often we think that a person who becomes a Christian is supposed to automatically have the maturity level of a person that's been a Christian as long as Miss O.P. You know, she's... They were baptized last week. Why weren't they here? It's because they don't know any better yet. They don't understand. Well, he was baptized six months ago. Why is he at the bar this weekend? It's because he's not mature yet. No, maybe nobody's even told him. Maybe nobody's encouraged him, wrapped their arm around him and said, hey, listen, this isn't correct. That's why we have older, mature Christians and young, immature Christians so that we can build one another up and grow one another. And the fact is that Colossians is the perfect book to go to that. If you need to become a Christian, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.